Hello and welcome to the Eastman's Predator Pros Podcast. I am your host, Jeff Nimnick. Great to be back on the mic with you. It's been a busy last five or six weeks. Uh, even though you've been getting these podcasts every two weeks, it's been almost five weeks since I've got on here to record one. Uh, the month of November, first part of December, was pretty busy with uh, lots and lots of coyote killing. Um, so it's good to get back on here. Um, got lots of great hunts uh, lined up to talk about um, that have happened over the last month. So, um, you know, even though my season runs here for, for only four or five months, you're going to get these podcasts all year long. So here over the next month, month and a half, I'm going to get on with uh, a bunch of guys I've been, you know, killing these big piles of coyotes with and, and talk about a lot of different things. So be looking for these. But this particular episode, um, we're going to talk about a hunt uh, we had back in November. A good buddy of mine, Dustin Patterson, um, and I went down to Arizona. We were filming uh, for uh, some episodes of The Last Stand. Um, you probably have saw those by now. They just came out. Um, first episode was actually episode three of season four. It came out uh, here, oh, a couple weeks ago. And then uh, the episode four, uh, which was our last part of that trip, is just coming out this week. So um, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about our history in Arizona. We've been going there now for five or six years, um, just uh, our experiences in general. And then Dustin's, uh, you know, just a phenomenal coyote hunter, has been, has been doing a long time, a contest coyote hunter, um, but he's really known for uh, shotgunning coyotes. That's his passion. That's what he loves to do. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. But before we get into it, need to thank this week's sponsor. We got a lot of great sponsors. Um, and like always, um, I'm fortunate enough to, to be endorsed and use products that I would use regardless of whether you know, they were part of what I do or not. And, uh, you know, just a new one I, I brought on board was Sig Sour Optics. Um, I'd been a big loophole guy for a lot of years, but uh, I kind of got caught up in uh, not really looking at what new, new was out there. And once I started looking at what Sig op Optics offers, I was blown away by uh, the BDX stuff and the Bluetooth options and, and uh, long range shooting and, and the quickness and stuff like that. So um, haven't I just got the stuff in the mail probably 10 days ago. Uh, as busy as my schedule's been, I haven't had a chance to get the scopes mounted and things like that, but I have been using the Kilo 3000 rangefinder binoculars. And I can tell you right now, um, they're way better than the Bushnell, uh, rangefinders binoculars that I had been using. So hopefully here I get a little break. Uh, Christmas is coming up. Boys are going to be out of school. So I'm going to be, uh, you know, killing a lot of coyotes with them. But once things settle down here, the first part of January, I'm going to have a few days to go out, get, get all this SIG optics mounted up and shoot it. So, um, before too much longer, I'm going to have some good feedback for you and, uh, and, and get you some good info and let you know uh, really you know what I think of uh, SIG Optics. But regardless, appreciate them being the sponsor of this week's show. Um, go check that system out if you're interested. Well, Dustin, great to finally have you on the podcast, man. We've, uh, we've had some adventures already this fall, but uh, we talked about getting on here. But uh, finally, great to have you on, man. Yes, sir. Good to be on. I was wondering if we were going to, you know, you have a good, uh, you have a good job, a winter, a good winter hunting job. A lot of people know you work. Uh, well, explain to me what, what's your job. I am a superintendent for an asphalt paving company. So we pave highways all across the state of Kansas. And the great thing with asphalt is it's obviously a warm weather activity. So Typically, it's April through November-ish into December, so I get a lot of coyote season off. Nice. It works out well. Yeah, and that's important. I always it's it's always I'm always curious to see how that plays in when when you talk to guys that hunt a lot of coyotes. A lot of them have jobs where they can get away. You know, you're not just stuck hunting weekends and here and there. You know, it, 
yeah it's a good good system to have same exact thing as you got i know except i i got like five months instead of just one <laughs> yeah <laughs> so before we get in you know on this podcast i want to i want to talk about you know probably more so our our adventures down to arizona over the years you know whether it was hunting the world championships whether it was filming for uh, the last stand, um, episodes, you know, the last three years down there. Um, but before we get going, you know, you know, basically how's your season been going? I mean, you're down in Eastern Kansas, right? Yep. Yep. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Blake. 30 minutes from Rick. Yep. 30 minutes from Rick. And that's kind of how this all played in and how I got roped into everything with you guys. I mean, I met you through your contest that you put on. And that was back when I was living in Colorado. And then I moved out here to Kansas and you ended up getting hooked up with Rick through Lucky Duck. And then you started coming out here to Rick and I was 30, 40 minutes away at the time. And that's how it all kind of evolved into me getting roped in with you two yahoos and going <laughs> from there. Heck yeah. What, uh, you, you've got out much, I know you kind of wait a little bit on your guys's deer seasons kind of rake havoc. You know, you have a big rifle season in Kansas that runs what yep. most of the month of December, which makes it a little tough. I know you have a, I'm going to have you jump into that story about the time you were, uh, you were out coyote hunting during rifle deer season and felt like you were yeah. back in Vietnam. Yeah. So, uh, as far as my season goes and leading up to that, I don't hunt them in September. I usually wait till October and then in October it's still a lot of public land that I hit early and in Kansas about half of the public land which is in the walk-in program which is a private land leasing program that's ran by the state so they lease it from the private landowners and then anybody can hunt it but about half of that land doesn't open till November 1st so I'm limited to about half the public land available in October and then that goes into November and I end up hunting typically a little bit more into November obviously a lot more land opens up into that and then contest season goes end of November through January into February typically but uh there was a contest and I can't even remember exactly when it was but it was with my good friend Nick Bosley and it was actually St. Francis. They don't run the contest anymore. It's probably competing against you, actually. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it was January. They always held that one in January, beginning of January. And we have a late doe season here in Kansas. And back then, I think you could shoot four or five does. I'm not a deer hunter. I don't know the exact seasons. But deer season was open when we're hunting that contest. So it was a stand that I've made a hundred times before private ground and we snuck in and the wind was just right to where I couldn't hunt it exactly how I normally hunt it. But I know where the coyotes always come from. And they always come up over this ridge and into us. Well, the fence line runs down the ridge and the way the wind was, we just had to lay it out where we called them up over the ridge to us, to the fence line. And we could only see maybe 50 to 60 yards. So we couldn't see up over the ridge and I don't know exactly how it played out or what happened. If the deer hunter was shooting at the sound 
or if the deer hunter was shooting at a coyote that was coming into us up the hill but Jeez. bullets were bullets were hitting the branches above our heads as we're sitting down <laughs> making a stand somebody started opening up and hitting the tree above our heads with bullets i mean it was <laughs> it was crazy it's the first time I've, and only time i've ever been shot at but they were hitting i don't know how far above our heads but it obviously freaked us out and shut the stand down immediately at that time and i started yelling and i think nick shot his gun in the air a couple times just to let him know there was somebody up over the ridge and i still to this day don't know exactly what happened because i i crawled to the collar to get the collar <laughs> and then i and then we both like low stepped it and crawled all the way back down the fence line towards the truck because we didn't want anything exposed up above the fence but I, I wish I knew if it was a coyote coming up the hill that they were shooting at and then hitting the tree or if they were just shooting towards the sound. I don't know what it was. Yeah, we, but. You, you hope it was a coyote. You hope just some yeah. guy was not that dumb to be just, just shooting, shooting at the sound, sound, man. Dang. Yeah. But and even if they were shooting rabbit. at the coyote, they probably are still a pretty crappy shot, huh? I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be hitting the tree, you know. Exactly. <laughs> well, not everybody can hit running coyotes like you, Joe. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's wild, man. I, I've never had anything like that happen. But usually when it's our, you know, here in Nebraska, we have a, about a nine-day rifle season. It's earlier in November. And yeah, I usually I clear myself out of the country for that one. That's usually when we go yep. down to Arizona, man. You know, usually yep. I try to time our Arizona trip. Uh, just there because uh, you know the coyote hunting's no good around here when when everybody's out there shooting deer and chasing things around and things yep. like that. But you just uh, you actually just uh, I got a text from you this weekend. Uh, you actually had your first contest of the season too, huh? This this past yep. weekend. Yep, How'd I've been kind of laying laying low a little bit on contests, but uh, we ended up with second place. Um, it was a two day contest, and the weather the first day really kicked our butts. Um, it never got above freezing. I think it was like 29, 30 degrees all day, which isn't bad, but it was about 20 mile an hour wind. So it made it brutal. It was all day long. It never laid down for us. And we were hunting huge pasture country, which isn't really my cup of tea to begin with. It's more of the style you got with the sand hills and stuff like that. And I, I typically try to stay away from it, but the guys I ended up hunting with, uh, my buddy, Jason Passmore, the ground he lines up is typically all big pasture stuff and with the wind like that it just didn't play in uh, yeah, our favor yeah. at all did you get some killed so, with a shotgun uh i actually didn't kill a shotgun what? i actually killed the runner with the rifle holy cow the contest yeah <laughs> is it it was a change of pace for me <laughs> one of our other buddies billy he actually shotgunned the only shotgun coyote and actually jason shotgun one too but i was just there for moral support i guess <laughs> but what, we, uh, we ended, what ended up, up winning it second uh, 11 coyotes won it dang so they had a good one and actually day one we only killed one coyote and day one the team that won it only killed two coyotes and i think the leader had killed four on day one so everybody struggled yeah, that was yeah. down there and then I mean, the winners killed nine the second day, and we ended up killing five. We probably should have had seven, but it still wouldn't have won it for us. Yeah, but yeah. We ended up second place, tiebreaker by weight. There was a couple other teams with six. But, day two in those contests matters, man. It really does. Yeah. I mean, we've been in You can't some, give up. We've been in some where we, uh, 
Well, as a matter of fact, we might talk about it a little bit. I think our worlds, yeah. we won worlds. We won yep. it on day two, essentially. And exactly. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. You didn't do too much pouting though, did you after day one with only one coyote? No, no. And that's why I was saying <laughs> I was moral support. I actually used our story from worlds. I was like, man, you can't ever, the stuff I've seen happen on the second day. I mean, that makes or breaks you. If, oh yeah. I mean, the leaders it doesn't mean nothing on the first day if they're in the lead. I mean, if they have a good solid day, that still puts them in a good position, but they can have a zero the second day. You never know. Oh, yeah. Day two matters. That's all I tell people. Yeah. And it's hard. You know what? A lot of people, when it comes to contest stuff, it seems to me a lot of guys have, you know, have a good plan put together for day one, meaning they, the, the ground they're hunting, they maybe been saving yep. it or um, they put a lot of thought into it, but not a lot of thought or time gets put into the second day. Um, yep. and you know, it matters, man. I hope people oh, yeah. you know, remember that and put some, put some effort into it. Cause you can, you can pass up a lot of teams on that second day. Oh yeah. You going to get into that later on with worlds. Yeah. 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 When yeah. we get started, I want to, I want to get into our kind of how I got started into Arizona. Cause I think that's probably what we want to talk about is I'll have you on this podcast again, a, a, a lot of time, you know, a lot of different times anyway, but this one, I think is specifically about Arizona, yeah. um, and some of our trips down there, but just wanted to give people kind of a brief introduction to you and what you do and uh, you know, kind of a little bit of your background before we jump into this, but, but yeah, kind of to, to kick things off, I want to talk about how I kind of got started with going down to Arizona and hopefully, you know, hopefully if you're listening to this, you've watched the last two, you know, episodes three and four of, of season four of the last stand. It was Dustin and I down in Arizona filming here um, in November and, and we're going to talk about that hunt and kind of past hunts as well. But, um, you know, how I got started and there was actually back in 2014, I hunted the world championships with, with a guy by the name of Lane Bangerter. And, uh, you know, back, back at that point, the, the world championship coyote calling contest would rotate around and, uh, it would be maybe two years in Arizona. It would go to two years to New Mexico, then two years to Colorado, then two years to Nevada, then, then back to Arizona. It'd be kind of on an eight year rotation. Well, um, it had just left Nevada for two years and it was moving to Arizona for two years. So, um, I'd been trying to partner up with Lane for a couple of years when it was up in Nevada, but it just didn't work out. But when it moved back to Arizona, Lane said, Hey, uh, you want to partner up? And I said, sounds great. Well, our game plan was this. We were actually, he has a, a really good ranch. We were going to hunt up in Nevada and a check-in that year was in Williams, Arizona. Well, the ranch we were, where he had, well, he had in, in Nevada was like 10 hours away. So we knew we could drive all night and get there and hunt that day one, but we needed somewhere when you hunt those type of contests, you got to be somewhat closer, you know, uh, for yep. that second day. So we knew, we knew we could get away with driving clear up there to hunt the first day, uh, but we knew we needed something a little closer for the second day. Well, to make a long story short, we didn't have a whole lot of time to scout. We, we roll into Williams, Arizona and, and how those contests works back then you had to check in on a Thursday afternoon. And when you check in, you have to, you know, get your kill tags and get the rule sheet. And if there's a cow cut or whatever, you know, that they do there. And then at that point, you're free to take off and, and you have all night to get to where you're going to go. And then the hunt starts at sunup on Friday morning. So we go rolling into Williams, you know, Thursday, Thursday afternoon, whatever time it was. And, you know, we really don't have a plan for their second day. I, I remember stopping into a, there was a sporting goods store there in Williams. And after we had bought out, we stopped at the sporting goods store to buy our Arizona license we were going to need for day two. And they had one of those big maps. And back in 2014, this is before like Onyx 
you know, on the phone yeah. and maybe it might've been, I didn't have it anyway. So I bought one of those big maps shows all the public and private land. So I remember riding on lane was driving as we're going down the interstate headed back up to Nevada. I'm just like looking out the window and looking for roads and like marking them on the, on the map. Well, we're driving down the interstate and we see a dead coyote along the interstate. So, so I make a little mark on there. I'm like, Oh, well, if there's one dead on the interstate, there must be, you know, quite a few coyotes in there, you know, if they're getting yeah. killed on the road. So, so anyway, we drive all night, get back up to the ranch. We hunt the ranch the first day we killed 10 coyotes and we knew we had a long drive back and we debated, you know, whether to drive or not. And finally we decided let's do it. And so we took off from the ranch. We drove all night. We get back, we get to maybe Las Vegas about three in the morning and we decided to pull over and sleep a little bit. We slept for two hours in the truck. We knew we still had about another hour and a half drive to get to where we were going to go. And we get back on that same interstate out there in Northern part of Arizona. And, uh, we get to that spot and we pull in there and, uh, start making stands. And uh, the first actual road we turned in, we made three, three dry stands. So we went down the interstate a little closer to check in and pulled in. And in a matter of like three hours, we killed five coyotes, you know, on public land in Arizona, nice. stuff that stuff that we'd never, you know, it was pure luck almost to stumble yeah. across that, you know, you always talk about scouting and preparing and stuff. No, we, we were not prepared. We just were winging yeah. it at that point, you know, um, but we got lucky, man. And we killed we, every coyote that we called in that morning. We, we killed them all. And we ended up winning it with 15 coyotes. And uh, so the following year, um, and this is kind of where you come into play, Dustin. The following year, Lane, yeah. it was going to be in Kingman, Arizona the following year. Well, Lane decides he's going to get in it with one of his, his boys. So just from my brief experience hunting Arizona for the first time for that half morning, I knew that, man, this is, some thick, this is a little different than what I was used to. Uh, I knew it was, this was definitely shotgun coyote country. You know, you're not oh, watching yeah. them come from very far. They're coming in hard and fast and, yeah. you know, brief, quick shots. So, um, you know, I would say, you know, I'm a good coyote hunter, but I'm a better recruiter, right? You know, it's, it's important, you know, <laughs> when you're finding a partner for contest, you know, it, it's super important to have somebody that complements your skill set. Um, you know, and it may be like you talked about the guys that you hunted with this past weekend, you know your reasoning for hunting with them other than just being great guys and friends, you know, yeah. they, they had some land access that maybe you didn't, that gave you some opportunities closer, or, or they may be a better shot or they may be this or that. And, and that's where that compliment comes in. I think, you know, it's something to really yeah. think about when you're putting together a, a good team for one of these contests. But anyway, so I knew that, and I knew you, you shotgun a lot of coyotes, um, especially out in that Eastern Kansas stuff. So I called you up and said, Hey man, worlds is in Kingman. You want to do it? You were all, yeah, in, you know, and I did, it didn't I, take me long to say yes. <laughs> well, I remember some of our pre, you know, our early conversations, you know, you're kind of, you were kind of asking me, well, where are we going to hunt? What are we going to do? And I'm like, well, I don't know, man, but we found this stumbled across this place that was pretty good, you know, and maybe, maybe we'll start there and, uh, you know, see what happens. Yeah. So, you know, when we, I remember that first year we pulled down in there, we went back to that same spot where we killed the five in a day. And I remember pulling in there. We drove all night to get there and we rolled in about midnight and I remember getting out there and howling. And that's what we did a lot was howl for coyotes to kind of see, you know, when you're hunting these areas, you'll drive around and you'll stop and you'll howl at night. And it gives you kind of an idea of where, where maybe these coyotes are, you know, it doesn't really tell you how smart they are if they've been pressured, but it gives you a good idea how you know, and I remember pulling up there and we're all nervous. Cause we're like, man, did we just get lucky the year before? And I remember we howled yeah. and there was like 
six eight coyotes howl all around us and we're like oh yeah we're like boom you know this is going to be the spot you know yeah like the first the first time we stopped and howled we had coyotes probably 100 yards away from us and we were just barely off the interstate and yeah. there was coyotes like close killable coyotes howling back to us yeah, and yeah. at that point i mean it was awesome from then on it was awesome for me <laughs> well we spent you know we spent a couple different nights you know you know howling and we spent two days in that area really learning the roads and learning how we could attack everything from different wind directions and things like that and uh you know lo and behold you know at the time you know for some reason i don't know why i did not bring a shotgun with me that first year you know yeah <laughs> i'm sure you were thinking the same thing why does this dummy not have a shotgun with him you know <laughs> yeah that's so, why he brought me that's right well that's what i was thinking i was like well if dustin's got a shotgun i don't really need one at the you know at the time i had a red dot you know yeah, mounted yeah. On a 45 <laughs> and and you know i always had that thing dialed in at like 20 yards so those coyotes that were coming in hard and fast i just roll my rifle and shoot them with the red dot and i thought oh yeah. that's you know i'd done it out here but you know i didn't take into consideration how fast they got on us out there you know but anyway so we start hunting and the plan and this is 100 percent public ground and you know our plans coming together and you know we ended up killing nine coyotes that first day probably should have had 12 or 13 i missed two oh, yeah. close like you know we're kind of sitting there like you know almost shoulder to shoulder but one of us is kind of looking to the right one to the left you know kind of a deal and I had two coyotes throughout the day that came in right on my side hard. And I rolled over with the red dot, and, yeah, yeah. you know, miss them. And they're gone in the trees that quick, you know, oh, yeah. but, uh, but either way then, you know, we were pretty psyched. We, you know, we, you killed one right on the very last stand. I still remember that one. Uh, oh, yeah. remember that one when you, that sucked and it was, it was right at the end of shooting light and it's real rocky kind of country and you boom boom and all this the yeah. shot was sparking off the rocks as you're blasting this guy oh, yeah. <laughs> that was but, a good one but anyway this you know we had nine coyotes we felt dang good that we were in it but the next morning um you know what was that our first stand or our second stand i think it was our first stand we killed the triple yeah um, triple first stand on second morning you know we 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 had some options on where we wanted to hunt you know where we wanted to make that first stand so our idea was this that hey we're gonna stop and make a quick howl off the road and then wherever we got these coyotes to howl from that was going to determine where we were going to make that first stand in the morning and i remember stopping and howling and we had that group of coyotes howl just right into that valley we parked and walked in and and these coyotes came bombing in one at a time and got three of them knocked down and and from there we yeah. rolled all morning and we ended up killing eight that morning and uh yep. And rolled into check-in with 17 and we were world champions man we were and that goes back to being staying upbeat into the second day i mean you have to because backtracking a little bit the the team that was in first place after the first day killed 14 the first day remember that it was yep. actually cornet yep he killed 14 the first day and we only killed was it nine, nine. yep yeah. And I mean, you have to stay positive going into that second day. I mean, it would have been really easy for that first place team with 14 to kill another four and they would have won it, but they didn't. And you have to stay all the way to the very end. And again, with that, we killed our last coyote to howls at noon. I remember that very clearly. I'll never forget that very last stand of <laughs> 
the second day we killed our last coyote to howls at noon. None of it makes any sense. Nope, it doesn't. <laughs> but that's how it works out. And you just got to hunt hard all the way to the very last minute. And a lot of people don't do that in contests. So That's true. So that was really our, our spark that basically, you know, my love for hunting Arizona came from that year, you know. Yep. You know, and since then, you know, so the Worlds was there, what, a couple years after that. And we thought we yep. had just the primo spot. <laughs> we were going to go back. And yep. the, the following year, we got slapped in the face. You know, oh, we're, yeah, th bad. We're, we're thinking to ourselves, all right, we know this ground even better now, you know, than we did yep. the year before. Just that's what happens. The more you get to hunt a spot, you just learn more little access. And we found more roads that got us back into different parts. And, and we just kind of had a better idea of where the coyotes usually were. And we thought, man, we had it. We had it in the bag. And we yep. killed two coyotes and two bobcats in a day and a half. That was rough. <laughs> that was that was hard. I I'm surprised we even went back to check in. That was rough swallowing that pillow. That was bad. It was, man. It is. It's it's tough. It's a it's a big hit to the pride, man. When you when you kill 17 oh, yeah. and win it, and then you barely get two coyotes. We killed as many bobcats as we did coyotes that year. Yeah, I mean, but we still a, went and congratulated the next champions. Yeah, you got to do that. You got to suck it up sometimes <laughs> as, as sucky as it, it is you know yeah you know oh, but, yeah. And, and remember that year though you know and this is public ground and it's just part of the deal we ran into another team you know in their hunting yeah. um and you know it's just part of the game you know it's just you hope that maybe you found a spot that maybe nobody else has found or maybe has overlooked um but yeah. that is the nature when you're hunting public ground and um part of the you know downside you know when it comes to contests hunting on public ground yep but then we still, we still didn't even give up on it because the, the following year it was in Utah. The world's moved up to Utah. They kind of m modified the format a little bit and things. And yep. we still had faith. We figured it was just the year before was just <laughs> one of those years, man. It, it was going to be back to being good. <laughs> and what do yeah. we, we get? A to we got uh, four coyotes that day. Um, yeah, we got that four was even going to plan B. That was even yeah. going to plan B. So yeah, through, through all of our times down there. And what you got to understand too is, when we, we started going down to these world championships, we'd spend five days before the contest. Well, there comes a point where you can only ride around and how coyotes and stuff for so long. Right. I mean, we've yeah, got, yeah. so we would, we would take an afternoon and just maybe drive 10 or 15 or 50 miles away and just explore some new country and just make some stands for the fun of it. And throughout the couple of years of doing that, we found another area, um, that it had some coyotes on it. And that was basically our plan B for that year. If, if we got in there and it was the same situation as the year before, where there just wasn't coyotes, then, uh, you know, we were going to go to plan B and my wife still busts my balls all the time about juniper berries because, you know, you and I down there, there's all the, in Northern Arizona, there's all these juniper trees and, you know, hands down, these coyotes are eating these, you'd walk around and you'd see piles of coyote crap and every pile would be just oh, yeah. nothing but juniper berries. And, you know, the first year in there, I just don't know if we just weren't paying attention to that yeah, or what it was. But every year after that's, we were like super cognizant of this, like looking at the crap, seeing how many berries are on these trees. And we always notice all this. And then it's just, now uh, it's kind of like in our heads now that uh, too many juniper berries. That I, and I don't know what it is. It, you would think a coyote would prefer a rabbit over a damn juniper berry, but yeah. You and I couldn't figure it out, man. We, I remember sitting on our phones studying juniper <laughs> berries, trying to figure out this. 
and trying to figure out when this area was going to be good. And it just, there was really no rhyme or reason to it, man. Regardless, it's a scientific excuse. And I don't know how many other teams have a scientific excuse, but we did. So that's yeah, all did, I'm running with. Didn't you find, didn't you come across something that if, if you eat juniper berries, it's a uh, appetite suppressant? Yeah, it, <laughs> it, it literally is an appetite suppressant. So the coyotes are eating them and they're also losing their appetite. So, I mean, they're not going to come to rabbit, right? Yeah. yeah. So we were just hosed, you know, but since then, you know, after the contest move and um, you know, we still decided to go down there and, you know, I want to move into the one final story here and then we'll kind of get talking into a little bit more about just Arizona in general, but in 2019, the world's moved back down to globe, Arizona. And at that yeah. point, and at that point we had stumbled across some property down in Southeast Arizona through a mutual friend and, uh, you know, talking to some ranchers down there and, you know, we knew our area up in Northern Arizona would be doable, you know, from globe, it was yeah. still a drive, but this stuff down in Southeast Arizona was a little bit closer. So we spent a few days down in Southeast Arizona scouting this out. And, you know, just like any other place we'd been in Arizona, we'd heard tons of coyotes at night. We were seeing coyotes. It just looked great, but we yeah. had never hunted it. So we were a little cautious about what it was going to do. And I remember up there in Northern Arizona was going to be our backup if this place fell through, but yeah. it looked, and I remember we're, we're talking and we're like, man, this is good. Let's go back up to our Northern Arizona stuff just for a half day, just a fun hunt, just to see, because our minds are turned and wondering, oh, yeah. is it, is it going to be one of those good years like we had, or is it going to be one of these down years? And so anyway, I remember you and I drove up there one night and we got up the next morning just to fun hunt it. And we killed what five coyotes in the first three stands, just fun. Oh hunting. yeah. It was and, good. It was good. It was bad. And, and you and I are freaking out because we're like, oh, my God, did we make the wrong decision? You know, oh, yeah. we sh this is the year we should have hunted up here, man. And I remember just we just said, oh, we got to get out of here because let's we got to go think about this and see what we want to do. So we backed out of there. Well, we ultimately we made the decision to hunt down in southeast Arizona, which, as you'll find out, was the best decision. Um, oh, yeah. But I always wonder if we had stuck around and hunted that whole day. You know, did we just get lucky that first part of the morning or, you know, would it have piled up 10 or 15 that day? I don't know. They could have ate a bunch of juniper berries that night. You never know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so to make a long story short, we went back to Southeast Arizona and you and I had our best day ever of hunting coyotes. We killed 19 coyotes and a bobcat in one day. Yeah. Um, yep. And, uh, you know, we killed three more that next morning, all for a second place finish, you know. All for second place, <laughs> you know, it's all right. They, they earned it though. Well, that's, I mean, for sure. they, they killed, what was it? All of them, but one with the shotgun. I yeah. Mean, yep. It's tough to complain when you get beat like that. Yeah. You know, and that's one of those times too, where, you know, that was the best you and I had ever done in a contest. Um, you know, if you look back at the history of the worlds at that point, um, 22 was the most that had been killed probably since I had been doing it at least, you know, I don't know yeah. how far back you had to go. So we felt pretty damn good that 20, we'd won't, I'd won it with 15 the year before with lane, you and I'd won it with 17. And now here we had 22. I thought, wow, we're going to, Yeah, I, I remember feeling pretty good, but in the back of your mind, you always just, you always have that feeling. Yeah. Like, Dang it, man. Who, God, dang, how did somebody else have a good day? Did somebody else shoot well? Um, and that was the case. Yeah, it was the Stewart brothers, and they were the truck in front of us too. Yeah, yeah, it was a hard so, one to swallow, and, and yeah, it was yeah. it was it was a double 
kind of a double whammy for me because the month before at nationals, <laughs> that was the same year that oh, yeah. we, kill, we killed 30 in a, in a two day yep. contest and it got beat by a 31, you know? So, yeah. so that year we got second at nationals and second at worlds, both lost by one coyote. And it's the two best totals I've ever had in a contest, you know? So <laughs> It was your juju the second one. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> but, you know, after that, the world's moved and it, and it kind of changed a little bit like that. So we decided, you know what, we're still going to, we're still going to go hunt Arizona. Um, you know, and, and we, at this point, we knew quite a few areas to hunt. And, you know, one thing I've always loved about Arizona, I don't know about you, is just the diversity that you get. Yeah. Um, yep. I, I don't know, what's Arizona? We've always looking on onyx and, and the mapping systems and stuff you know it's probably what 50 50 of public land yeah. versus private or more Maybe i mean more, there's you a, know there's a ton of public ground and you know for guys that don't live down there that's always a great start because you know you can go down there and hunt it just like anybody else and then and then being down yeah. there part of the process you know we we met ranchers we talked to ranchers and and landowners and met those guys and and, you know, now you start building up a, some access on that side, and then you start building up yep. a database of all these public land spots. And um, to me, that's why I love Arizona so much is just the diversity and the country is cool. It's just a lot different than what I'm used to, which, which I like. Yeah. Opportunity. I mean, both our states don't have much public land compared to all the rest. I think we're in the bottom 10% as far as public land goes. And then you go out there and it's one of the top five in public land. So it's just opportunity. It's yeah. awesome. Well, then you throw in the, the, the part too about the private land. If their private land isn't, isn't posted, um, yeah. you know, you can hunt it as well. So, you know, some, some landowners, you know, just don't care. I guess they must not care if anybody's, you know, hunting on their ground cause they don't post it. You yeah. know? So that even opens up more access too. So but, you know, and another thing, too, is I don't know about you, but I feel I mean, I've probably hunted coyotes in maybe 14 or 15 different states now. And to me, I feel like just overall coyote densities are the highest in Arizona yeah. where we've been just pound for pound yep. number of coyotes per square mile. Yep. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. It's thick and it's it's different. There's so many different opportunities. You can go to northern Arizona and you feel like you're in the mountains. I mean, you'll have snow, it's cold in the mornings, it's freezing cold in the mornings. And then you can go to Southern Arizona and you're in the desert or Southwest Arizona is even more desert. It's going to be 70 or 80 for a low. So, I mean, there's just a lot of different, it's all the different terrains you can think of all wrapped into one. Yeah. And it's challenging terrain. I mean, you get up North, you know, in those juniper trees, you know, you have these visible lanes, like it's almost like shooting lanes, you know, through there and you're kind of positioning yourself yep. and trying to tuck yourself back into the junipers where you got some shadows, but you have these shooting lanes. So you might catch a coyote crossing through at a hundred yards and then you lose him and, um, yep. you know, and then you get down in the Southern stuff where it's just these big flat valleys with this mesquite brush and grass. And, um, you know, half the time you don't even see the coyotes till they're right there. Yep. It makes it fun. It's a challenge. I'm glad I've hunted down there enough because it's, it's built up a, a you know, a, a base of knowledge for me that I would never have had, you know, you know, hunting up here for coyotes for sure. Yep. I agree. You know, another thing that's cool is the, the diverse amount of predators, you know, I mean, we don't, oh, yeah. you guys have bobcats in Kansas. We have some, not a lot, but down there, yeah, it's just crazy. It, 
I, I'm always baffled when we go down there and it's just the most arid deserty kind of, you would think that this is not great habitat for anything, but yeah, yeah. there's all this stuff down there. I mean, it's just oh, yeah. it baffles me. Yeah. Those, those animals down there survive way differently than our animals up here survive. You know, I mean, water, here, we got plenty of water. Yeah. 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 Everywhere you look, there's water, right? Yeah. And that is down always there, a key. Not so much. Yeah. And that's a key down there too. You know, it's something what we've always kind of looked at, um, you know, when we've been on, on the mapping systems where we've been driving around scouting, it seems like we're trying to find these tanks. They call them down there. You know, I guess oh, to yeah. me it's like a little pond dam that collects the water. They call them tanks, you know, <laughs> uh, yep. you know, or, or, you know, little guzzlers or whatever it may be. Um, you know, if you can find water and it seems like the thick cover, like down there, those coyotes, yep like those washes that are just chock full of the nastiest thick stuff. You can just get right on the edges of those. seems like that's where everything's always at. Yep. Yep. So when we, you know, when we started going back, um, you know, I guess our first year back down there to film um, was the year after we had killed 19 coyotes down in that area. Yep. And, you know, we decided to get back in there and what we didn't realize the year before we had actually hunted a little earlier, the second year we were in there. We didn't realize there was a deer season there, you know? Yeah. And the first time, if, if you look back on think of season two of the last stand, you'll see like 16 coyotes in a day we put on camera in that same area. And, you know, to me, that was wild because we, you couldn't have planned it any worse almost, No. you know, oh, no. it's public land here and there. And these guys are, in, I mean, we saw, I don't know how many deer hunters we saw that day running around in there, Yep. but it was it, everything that could have went wrong did go wrong but it didn't matter as far as the coyotes coming in we still called them in on every single stand that had everything going wrong for it i don't know how it worked like that but it did yeah yeah i mean it was that that was one of those days and it put it on camera and that kind of started you know you and you'll see on this latest last stand video you know you end up shooting my call in a coyote in the oh, same yeah. shot right and yeah. so early on, back when we first started to go, you, you know, we always bantering back and forth about, Hey, you're trying to let him kiss the call and you're going to blast him with oh, a yeah. shotgun. Um, you know, it was only a matter of time before you made that happen. Yeah, it was, uh, it was ongoing. And just so everybody knows that was on purpose. <laughs> that was on purpose that I shot the call. Cause I could have shot the super revolt like two or three times after that. And I didn't, I held off. But we were always joking. Jeff and I have always been joking about shooting the call and the coyote at the same time or the coyote biting the call and then shooting the coyote and stuff like that. And the last stand two years ago on the second day, we ended up shooting a coyote as it was biting the call and it died with the tripod in its mouth or whatever yeah, happened yeah. on that one stand. And, I just wanted one biting the call and shooting the coyote at the same time. And that was as close as I could get. I made it happen. <laughs> Ended up killing a revolt. And I could tell we we'd been joking about it for years, but I could tell how disappointed you were that I killed your revolt. Cause I know that's your favorite call. <laughs> it didn't, uh, it didn't. Yeah. My disappointment didn't last. Once I looked, walked over there and, and, Seth, who was running one of the cameras, he showed me the footage on that thing. And I thought, holy crap, that coyote <laughs> dies with its nose inside the speaker of that oh, yeah. revolt. You know, I mean, that was pretty wild. And it was just That's a perfect a angle. One. Like, 
you know, when you watch that video, that coyote's coming in from kind of the right, but kind of quartering towards us, towards the call. Yeah. And like you're, you timed it just perfect. Cause about your left half of your pattern hits the left side, the right side of the call and yeah. the right side of your pattern hits the coyote right in the head and neck and shoulder. You know, oh, I mean, yeah. it, was, it was time. It was time. Just perfect, man. It was about as good as it gets. <laughs> Other than the coyote picking up the call and running away with it, it won't get any better than that. Yeah, that's I've heard that happening. Um, as a matter of fact, out of Worlds this last year, Craig Sandy um, said they had a coyote that did that, that picked really? up the call and ran with it. And I, I mean, to me, I've never I'd love to see that. To me, it oh, seems yeah. like they hit it, but they freak out because they smell it and stuff like that. Yeah. Maybe Craig spraying some coyote piss or something weird on his call like that. You know, they don't know the difference. Something weird on there. Yeah. <laughs> I dare one of those to do that on film because I will smoke it with the call in his mouth. <laughs> Sorry about your revolt. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have to do like I I do need to let you know you weren't the first person to ever shoot my call. Well, I think I told you that. Coyote and call. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But that guy, yeah. So to back up a little bit, I was doing a coyote craze college one time and and had a group out and we had a coyote coming hard from the right. And I, you know, and when the, and, and out here, we're not running shotguns. Usually it's pretty wide open. And when those coyotes are running hard to the call, it's, it's hard to get them to stop. And once that coyote got within about 40 yards, I told, I told the guys, I said, he's not going to stop. Somebody just needs to shoot him. Cause it's a lot easier to kill the coyote when he's lined out running up to the call, as opposed yeah. to after he hits the call and wins it. And then they're just squirrely running who knows which oh, direction, yeah. you know? So I said, hey, somebody need to hurry up, get him killed, get him killed. And right when the coyote got to the call, the guy shot. He was shooting an AR-15. Boom, shoots. Coyote peels out of there. I get the coyote running off to the left, and I look back, and I see the call laid over, and I'm like, in my mind, I'm thinking, uh -oh. man, he was right on the call, but I <laughs> didn't think he hit it. And sure yeah. enough, man, he hit that call broad, right through the Lucky Duck logo, right in the side, um, blew no. it out the back about the size of a golf ball, and it took the motor out, took it all out. You know, he felt pretty yeah. bad, but I uh, I got on the horn with Lucky Duck, and they had they had a new one coming, so yeah, but, uh, it wasn't bad. In, it wasn't bad. In my defense, I didn't kill the call. I mean, it still worked, and the presets on the side of the call still worked. I must have clipped the antenna or something because the remote wouldn't hook up but it still worked and the speaker still worked even though i put like 10 through the speaker it still worked it did it did but, I, i've been wanting to uh i talked to tim at, at lucky duck about that and he's like man you should take that thing apart and see exactly what happened i haven't had a chance to take it apart yet to look but yeah i got it in my garage when i get a little downtime i'm gonna take it apart and see exactly you know yeah. what happened there you did have Haley have one coming before, we, like before the end of the day, you already had one coming from Haley. <laughs> <laughs> that was, I was freaking out because, you know, right now with all the shipping issues and just yeah. the ports and things, I knew there wasn't a whole lot of them available, if any. And so I'm like, oh my God, yeah. I, better, I better get on there and get <laughs> another one coming or get my name on one quick, you know, but I actually had one by the time we got back from, from Arizona. Uh, I actually had one at her door already. So it was, it was great. <laughs> Yeah. See, no harm, no foul. That's right. right. That's right. <laughs> all Plus, for the glory of the video, right? Yeah. It forces us into all the stuff everybody will see on the second episode. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> With the Super Bowl. A lot of firsts. Yeah. You know, that was cool. That trip, you know, we, you know, we did, um, you know, we killed five coyotes on one stand on that trip. Yeah. Um, we had, I, and I had got to thinking back, I couldn't remember if we'd ever killed a quad, but I remember we did kill a quad. Um, and it was with Rick out here in Nebraska, 
and I was hogging all the coyotes. They were running in and running off and I was shooting them and Rick was pissed because they weren't stopping. And, um, yeah, you know, technically we didn't find the fourth coyote. I, I hit him running at, you know, two, 300 yards and I put another bullet in him and, you know, it was, it was not pretty. He had guts hanging out and stuff. And, yeah. and anyway, we went over there and found blood, but I, I never find. So in my mind, I guess I didn't really count that as a yeah. quad, you know, cause we never really found yeah. that coyote. So, but when we were talking, I knew for a fact we'd never killed five. I don't, I've only ever done that two times ever, you know, yeah. at a 10,000 plus stands. I don't know who knows how many stands I've ever made, but I mean, five on one stand is, you yeah, it's rare. Time. Oh yeah. You know, and then that's it. And, you know, let's talk about that stand. You know, I don't know what it is. I mean, obviously you got to set in order for that to happen. There's a lot of luck involved. Let's be honest. I oh, mean, yeah. we did not, we knew it was probably a good coyote stand to kill a coyote, yep. but to get right in the middle of that many coyotes, you know, that's probably why it doesn't happen. It's just, it's just a lot of luck involved. Yeah, it was thick. They were thick for some reason in that Valley. We never found out why, but I mean, there were, it was 11 coyotes and four stands, something yeah. like that. Five yeah, the stand stands. right before we killed three, we killed a triple. Yeah. We saw a fourth coyote. Um, and then we only went up this valley, like what, a mile? You know, maybe if a that. mile and a half, if that. Yeah. And then we kill five more. And then we go up the valley just another maybe mile and we killed the one with the drone, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And you and I were talking about this, you know, why? obviously that was higher coyote densities than probably normal, you know, and, yep. and, you know, we've got to thinking that they're probably this grass was crazy high down in that, you know, like four or five foot tall grass that these coyotes kept coming out of. And we were yep. wondering if maybe there wasn't, you know, a dead cow or something down in there, at, you know, somewhere in that Valley that was drawn in extra coyotes. Um, yeah. You know, which it's just always a big bonus if you can find that, you know, but thinking back, you know, all the dead piles you've ever been around, you'd think it would be awesome if there's a dead pile, but those coyotes don't act normal when you're around a dead pile. So I don't know, I don't know what it was, but it, and it was also weird because they all came from different directions. It wasn't like normal where you call and you get five, six, seven of them coming in from the same direction, same area. It was like two here, one from there, two from the completely opposite direction, they were just all over the place, just all living in the same area, which was weird. Yeah. I mean, those first two coyotes, that first coyote that came out of that grass, I mean, and this goes to show how important getting into your setup is. I mean, you know, sometimes I'm not a big stickler on being super quiet, especially if the wind's blowing a lot, you know, obviously that yeah. knocks down, but on that day, the wind wasn't blowing that bad. So, you know, when you're getting out of the truck and you're making sure you're not slamming doors and being quiet, you're not getting loud and not banging your yep. shooting sticks off the truck. I think because that first coyote that came to the call couldn't have been a hundred yards. No, maybe two less than 200 yards from where we parked the truck and less than a hundred yards from where we set up. Oh yeah. And he come out of there from the right. And you know, a lot of times when we're filming, you know, it does take a second to get the camera on it, you know? And, yep. you know, so we, we're actually seeing coyotes usually a second or two or three seconds before you're actually seeing them when you're watching these episodes. And it, it, it shocked me how fast that coyote came out of that grass. I was not quite ready for him to come out yeah. you know, that way, you know? And you even had a shotgun on that stand. I did. And I let that, you know, so I'm off to the right. Cause you know, I'm a left-handed shooter. You're a right-handed shooter. So whenever we set yep. up on these stands, 
you know, if we're both going to stay together, I usually cover the right half just because it's easier as a left-handed shooter swing and vice versa yep. for you. So, so yeah, I was, we were all, you and me and the two camera guys were all piled around this little tree in the shade. Yeah. And this coyote comes from hard right. And it's like 20 yards in front of me running over to the left, which is where the call is out in front of you. And, you know, even back when we killed those 16 coyotes in a day, you, and you killed four or five that first day that all just, they did the same thing. They like, they run right out in front of us. They come from the right or the yeah. left and they, and they're running broadside in front of us, right to the call. And you, in your mind, you're like, yeah, this can't even be happening, man. How is this, how does this coyote <laughs> not see us all just sitting right here? Yeah. But it's almost, you know, you and I joke about this. It's almost like the coyotes look at us. They do like, they'll, they'll, they'll just glance over to the left. And it's like, we always joke that they're like, Hey guys, don't worry about me. I'm just going to go eat this rabbit, you know, and then I'll be out of here. You know, it's yeah. like, how, did, how could they have not seen us? You know, I don't know. And then you run into days, other places where they see you from like a quarter mile away and yeah, they don't know what you are and they're yeah. Or circling <laughs> all the way around at 300 yards. Yeah. You know, so that, that, that group of five, so that first guy comes to the right and you, you bury it right at the call right out front. Yeah. Well, as you shoot, we actually had a second coyote that was less than a hundred yards coming from almost straight out. And as soon yeah. as you shot, you know, the call, I, obviously I leave the call going, you know, even then I try to sometimes even volume the call up to help muffle those shots even. And, you know, but this coyote, he's kind of bouncing to the right, not real spooked. And he no. runs into this grass and almost instantly another coyote comes out of the grass. To the yeah. I don't know if it was the same coyote that got into that grass <laughs> and looped around or if it was a third coyote. And he's on the same path as the first coyote comes running right up and boom, you shotgun yeah. him. And I'm like, holy cow. Well, right when you shot that, there was another coyote right out in front of us. And I don't, yep. it's so I'm, it's so hard to keep track of when there's that many coyotes. And I don't, so I don't know if that was a fourth coyote, if it was the third coyote, I don't know, but you, I think you dusted him with, you shot him at him with a shotgun and hit him with some pellets and he yeah. was streaking. He was hauling ass in front of us. 40 yards maybe from from left to right running full speed and you hit him with some pellets but it didn't kill him and he was heading for the grass and i just kind of swung and just put the crosshairs out four or five foot in front of him and ended up rolling him for the third one so at this point you know we've shot the shotgun now three or you might even shot twice at that one maybe four shotgun shots i shot twice at that one yeah that yeah. was four shots with the so shotgun. four shotgun shots and a rifle shot and that was only three coyotes yeah so we're you know we're talking about shots ringing out it's not that you know call you know it's it's not that windy so the sound's carrying but we uh, keep after it and then you notice this the fourth coyote we ended up killing coming from way left which is wide open out there that yeah. coyote just came from somewhere else yeah complete different direction and so this coyote starts you know and you could tell at this point this coyote's a little more cautious now i think the shooting at this point maybe has got this coyote you know a little worked up or you know not wanting to commit all the way to the call but he starts working back to the right maybe 150 yards out or something. And at this point we know yeah. we got this coyote. It's just, okay, let's see how much closer we can get him, you know? Yeah. And then I remember looking out on the back far behind him at 250, and here's another coyote coming out of the draw and, and comes and he, that actually, that actually was the fourth coyote we killed because he actually passes the one that was doing the circle. Yep. And comes up and then that's just you and me coordinated at that point. And I'm like, all right, Dustin, all right, here we go. You know, we knew we weren't going to shotgun him at that point, but, you know, I said, all right, here you go. You shoot that one about hundred, 125 out there and I'll be on that back one and we'll see what we can do. Yeah. And you, you dumped that first one and that's fifth or the fourth one really. And the fifth, fifth one took off and 
I usually do better when they're running broadside, to be honest with you. Those straightaway shots, you know, yeah. I, I zipped one right to the right of him and it turned him hard left and and uh, got him rolled up for, for five, man. Yeah, and that audio on that first episode from this year is the first time I heard you saying that you're going to let me shoot the standing one so you can <laughs> shoot the running one, and that made you a good friend. So. Yeah, yeah. I figured you'd get out of that when I was going way. out there to pick up that coyote, you know. Yeah. I like Thanks putting the pressure that, on myself with the, taking the harder rifle shots, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, and, and then after At that, least we didn't try to do the one, two, three. Oh, yeah. Well, the, what, what, you know, and you see in that video is we, I was hoping mine was stopping, but as you shot yours, mine was actually trotting away. Yeah. So he just kind of, he kind of got on his horse and took off, you know, once you shot, but you know, down there in Arizona, we had talked about how cool it would be to get footage of a coyote coming in from the drone, you know, from a elevated yeah. position, you know, so, and we had talked about it, but we didn't really know logistically how it was going to work out. You know, drones are pretty loud, you know, and would the coyote look up there and see it, uh, would they spook out, you know, what would happen? And, and at this point, you know, we'd killed a triple, then we killed five and we're like, man, if there's ever a time to do it, these coyotes are coming in good and there's a bunch of coyotes, let's try it. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. you know, and, you know, so looking through the regs and things like that, you know, obviously you can't use a drone to go, you know, fly out around and find where animals are at. You can't use it to herd animals to you, you know, obviously, and that's pretty important, obviously big game hunting and stuff like that. But, yeah. you know, taking a drone and all we did is just hover it right above our position and we actually moved it back. So it's just basically filming us and maybe 40, 50, 60 yards out in front, you know, yep. while we're calling. And, uh, you know, sure enough, it was late in the stand and, you know, we knew we had maybe eight to 10 minutes of battery life to hover this drone up above us. And oh, yeah. sure enough, here comes this coyote rolling in and he got to about 40 yards. And I don't know if he just saw us. We didn't have a whole lot of cover. I don't know. No, if he saw we're us facing we, right into the sun. Yeah. I don't know if he saw the drone, if he saw the drone or, or heard the drone, saw us, but he peels off and, uh, and you rolled him up 50 yards. That was a, that was a poke 45, 50 yards. Oh. It was a poke. It was like it was meant to be the first <laughs> coyote kill on drone footage. Yeah. Yeah. Had to happen. <laughs> it's sweet. That footage, I, you know, when you can see those pellets, those line of pellets in that dirt, you know, from up high, like that looking down, I mean, the thing coyote looks yeah. so small. It looks like a little ant. I mean, that drone was yeah. only up there 60 feet in the air. I mean, yeah. which is not high, um, but it's just that wide no. angle kind of, you know, luckily it's 4k, you know, everything we films in 4k or 6k nowadays. So you can crop yeah, yeah. it down you can zoom it in and, and it looks awesome. You know, <laughs> yep. <laughs> All 4k at least. Yeah. Yeah. Some kind of, sometimes eight. Yeah. Epic 4k, epic 4k, epic 4k. <laughs> I, re you know, I remember sitting on that stand and thinking there's no way this is going to work with a freaking vacuum basically <laughs> vacuum sounding thing is basically like somebody running a vacuum behind you it was just horrible i couldn't even hardly hear the call with the drone yeah it worked yeah. and i was and i was purposely trying on my, in my mind i'm like all right i just got to play this call loud you know and hope hope that yeah. maybe through the the pauses and the rabbit screaming that you know they don't pick out the noise you know um yeah but either way, it was it was a first for the show, you know. Yeah, it was another, a great moment. First we had we had another first. Well, later later in the we killed some we killed uh, a couple bobcats in that second episode. Um, you know that second one was, was really cool. You know when they come sneaking into the grass, 
You know, as you see, yeah. you know, there's when you watch that, uh, you know, episode number four from from Arizona, and we kill a couple bobcats. You know, the first one, what what's hard to see is I talk about it a little bit, but we actually spot that bobcat like six minutes earlier. You know, and he's out there, oh yeah, close enough to kill, and oh, those things just, you know. I can see if you were just trying to target Bob, if you, if we would have known that Bobcat was there, if I'd have never caught a glimpse of him cutting through that little six inch gap in the brush, yeah, we'd have probably, probably been gone. We'd have never sat there long enough for him to make that last little move to get him killed. You know? Oh yeah. It always makes oh, yeah. me wonder how and, many Bobcats you just get up and walk away from, you know? Yeah. And you had gone through six or seven sounds before he finally broke free and came down. Yeah, and that's what, you know, just dealing, you know, Rick's killed tons and tons of bobcats over the years, and it just, and I haven't killed very many. It's usually just pure luck, like the cat's like 200 yards when we set up and he comes in. But, and that's what Rick always told me is, hey, a lot of times you just got a, a bunch of different little prey distress sounds in a row, and you'll find one that they like. And that's all I was doing. I knew that cat was sitting right there, and I'd play one sound for maybe 15, 20 seconds and just kind of watch. And you can tell usually yeah. pretty quickly if that cat likes it or not. And I just volume back down and pick a different one. And I mean, I was going through, you name it, Tweety Bird and oh, yeah. several different rabbits and chicken. I mean, you name it. And if I, I don't know if yeah. it was Tweety Bird, Tweety Bird distress or something, um, you know, was what finally it was. finally it was, broke him that last. Yeah. Because I remember you saying Rick was going to be super pumped because it was one of Rick's little bird sounds yeah. that he had. And it was Tweety Bird that broke him free. And that's when he came that last. 20 yards or whatever down to where we ended up shooting him and it always you know on that shot you know you you just hammer it. that cat was sitting down like 25 yards yeah and it always amazed me how tough these cats are i mean you just pattern just all around this cat and he yeah. jumps four foot in the air and takes off running and you hammered him yeah. in a you know i was watching that footage and you, that second pattern is on him all right on him yeah and then you know, you're you even shot again on a third shot, but right before he bails yeah. into the thing, and he still made it like 40 yards down into there before he yeah. died. You know, yeah, I was amazed. Me, I shot one down at Rick's cup well on film last year, and you know, the cat come in and sat down chest on, and I just I had it right on his chest, thinking, okay, this is easy, and I, I think just a little low, you know, and yeah, just jumps in there and takes off. I was like, man, they're you don't hit them just right. They're squirrely little suckers. I don't know if it's their adrenaline or what it is that makes them like that, but if it's not a kill shot right immediately, they are gone. Yeah, they're it's weird. I mean, we, I don't shoot enough of them to really know the secret, but you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just are we are we going to talk about uh, the standoff we had with that that first cat? Oh, that first and when that year we're in the contest where we only killed two cats and two bobcats. No. No, that one. No. Yeah, the the one that I shot and it ran off, and I shot a couple more times. That first one on film. Remember what I said to you? Oh, that it was a baby. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't. Yeah, so we didn't. We didn't put this on the. <laughs> we didn't put this on the thing, but so so yeah. As this bobcat we just got done talking about, as it comes in, and this is all over the course. So this we let this cat sit there for five minutes, trying to even get yeah. it the last ten yards up to the call. Yep. And I didn't have a shot at with the rifle. I could only see about half its head from where we were sitting with the camera. Dustin was the only one with a real good shot. And and finally, I don't know if if I said shoot it or something, and you come, you said back, it's just a baby. 
<laughs> I'll call myself out yeah. on that. I mean, I, I was wrong, but I definitely was like, it's just a baby. I thought it was a kitten. It yeah. looked so tiny yeah. when it was out there. And I just <clears throat> couldn't tell. And, and I think my response was, I don't care. We shoot baby coyotes all the time. <laughs> or something i don't know <laughs> exactly you're like you shoot a baby coyote why wouldn't you shoot a baby bobcat and i was like well okay it ended I do up agree. not being I do a baby agree. i do agree because bobcats do they breed at different times or something because you can yeah. this time of year you know obviously all the coyote pups now are all 20 25 pounds but yeah i've seen it where you could call in a little kitten you know like a little six oh, eight yeah. pound kitten and obviously yeah it ain't worth nothing on the fur market when you shoot them that little so uh, you know i i knew what you were saying man as far as letting it go but to me, I didn't yeah. know. I didn't really care at that point. I was like, man, we're going to kill this sucker. <laughs> and regardless, I mean, it wasn't a tiny one. It wasn't a huge one, but it yeah. wasn't a tiny one. It was like 20 pounds. It wasn't like a baby <laughs> kitten or anything like that. But no, when you talk about huge. standoff, it, it reminded me of the year when we sucked it up in worlds and we only killed two coyotes and two bobcats. And I remember that second yeah. day we're, we're shoulder to shoulder in some tight juniper trees. And this bobcat walks out of the brush, probably eight, nine feet to the right of me and yeah. walks out into the open towards the call and then just stands there. And it's only like, like eight, 10 feet from me. And oh, I have yeah. the shotgun in my hand and you know, it's two minutes in and we're in a coyote contest. So you and I are like whispering to each other, like, Hey, let's just hold off here. Maybe a coyote comes running in. All right. You shoot the coyote and I'll shoot this Bobcat. And you know, the, the bobcat walked out there and sat down and sat there for four or five minutes. And it was cool because it's only like 10 feet in front of us sitting there. And, yeah. you know, then towards the end of the stand, after we get to that seven, eight minute mark, you start realizing, nah, probably not a coyote. So like, all right, let's just shoot this bobcat. Well, I'm thinking, man, this bobcat's so close. Like it's going to blow this thing in half with the shotgun. Yeah. It's so close. And so I'm like, I'm trying, trying to make a little noises or something, try to get it to spook out, you know, thing just stands up and starts walking back on the same path right to the yeah. brush and i was right like, next uh, to you i was like uh well it got about two foot from the brush line and i said oh well <laughs> and boom it was yeah. so close the pattern on that i mean it blew a hole in that bobcat that was like it got shot by a rifle i mean yeah. i remember i mean it's just uh it was crazy but that's the cool stuff you see man when you get down tight in that country like that yeah that's why i love shotguns on. It is. It's fun when you get them that close. That's for sure. It is. You get a look at the animals super close, the adrenaline super high. There's just, it's just different when you're that close to animals. You know, that second bobcat we got that day, you know, that was just a random, you know, it was, to me, that looked more like a coyote stand, you know, yeah. especially, you know, we were calling down into a thicker wash that had some thicker mesquites in it. And the bobcat actually came from the, the side hill off to a right kind of in the more yeah. open he was just out there sneaking yeah. around in that yellow grass and stuff trying to catch something yeah we were calling down into the thick stuff into the bottom like you said he was he was out where the coyotes should be yeah. if the coyote would have came in on that stand it would have been either from the thick stuff or the open but a bobcat i would have figured right up through the thick stuff but he was in the open yeah that, that one was cool i mean that thing came it got within about five feet of the call and sat down or maybe yeah. maybe eight feet of the call and sat down and you know at that point it's well killable you know oh, yeah. but you and you and i you know we always try to push the limits a little bit to see how close we can get yep. this stuff to the call but in the back of my mind i'm like you know what i remember back to episode three when we had that bobcat and that coyote come in on the same stand out here in nebraska and the bobcat attacked the call and once they hit the call then they freak out and run off so in the back of my oh, mind yeah. i'm like all right how close do we want to get this cat 
I don't want it hitting the call because the grass was kind of high. And then, you know, then all yeah. of a sudden this cat's running through the grass and we're trying to get it killed and it doesn't make great footage. So we, so this, I'm switching through sounds just like that last, you know, the bobcat we killed earlier yeah. in the day. And we get that cat, what, 18 inches from the call. Oh yeah. And, I think it was Tweety Bird again. Yeah. Tweety Bird and that bobcat, you can just see it. I mean, this bobcat's only like 15, 20 yards in front of us in the grass. And I, I, you could just slowly see it loading up, like, you know, oh, just yeah. super, super slow, like loading up on its back conscious to just to pounce this thing. And I remember saying, all right, we better get this thing killed. And then you just yeah, yeah. <laughs> mowed the grass. I mean, it was cool because the cat was kind of laid down in the grass a little bit and your shotgun pattern just mowed the grass right off and raked it right across the yeah. front half of that bobcat, man. Yeah, I remember looking at the grass, and you could see where it was all broke off, just straight and pattern right into it. Yeah. It was neat. And, you know, the crazy thing to me, you talked about how tough bobcats are. You know, we don't show a lot of this stuff on the video, just because not time, but that bobcat, it, was, it wasn't going nowhere. But remember, it was actually no. still alive. I mean, yeah, it, it had, it was, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. It was messed up, and it wasn't going anywhere. And I don't... I don't know how they do it, but bobcats for some reason are just that way. The moral of the story is this: just keep shooting until it's not moving, right? Exactly. Coyote contest. Anything with a sure. shotgun, I've re I've realized that, and you, you proved yeah. it on back in previous yeah. ones. Just keep shooting until it's not moving, and you know exactly. If it's still moving, you keep shooting. You can't. That's one of the biggest mistakes a lot of people make, and they say, "I'm never shotgun them again." They'll shoot one and then they'll say they'll go back to calling and then they go to pick it up and the coyote's gone. You don't ever take your eyes off of it after you shoot. And if the thing is still moving, you shoot it again. That's all there is to it. Yep. And same way with the rifle, honestly, too. I mean, just, yeah. just on an ethical standpoint, obviously, you don't want the coyotes rolling around out there. You know, just kill them quick. Exactly. But then on a standpoint of two of you, just don't want them. I've seen coyotes just all of a sudden you're thinking, oh, that thing's stone dead and just get up and go or flop around yeah. a little bit. And you're like, oh, it's hurt bad. Ain't going nowhere. And then all of a sudden it catches its second wind yeah. and, and you never find it. You got to keep thing. it in the back of your head, the whole stand. Yep. Yep. So yeah, at first we so two bobcats in the same day. We'd never done that down there. Yep. Um, you know, shooting the call five coyotes on a stand. Yeah. It was a pretty epic trip, man. I think we killed, well, was, we didn't talk about the last thing we saw was a first, you know, that last day of the trip, we made a run clear down to a new area. Um, one of the ranchers that we know down there, um, he told us about this other area that they had. And um, it wasn't a very big area. We knew it was probably only enough for a half a morning. And and uh, yeah. we'd never been down there. And I just remember rolling into that valley and being like, holy cow, this is like crazy, crazy looking good country. Like, you yeah, know, be down on southern Arizona. To me, like I said on the video, it looked like South Dakota or montana yeah. you know these big rolling grass hills with these oak brush and stuff it was weird yeah it was weird it, it looked like northern arizona honestly but it was all the way down southern and i remember that you know we killed a couple coyotes and that big coyote you know we heard those coyotes howling on that that big one that you shotgun and we we're sitting up on that big side hill yeah and uh we heard those coyotes howl a long ways away yeah and but in the back of my mind when i always hear coyotes howl I thought, well, obviously they can hear the call. You know, we got them. They yep. heard the howling from my call, and that's why they howled back. So there's always some hope, I feel, you know, like, okay, you know, that these coyotes are going to come. They don't always come, unfortunately, you know, no matter how far they howl. But that one took a long time. I was actually – I was maybe uh, four minutes deep into the coyote coon fight sound. Yeah. I think when that coyote showed up, and he, he – you know, we couldn't see him. He kind of come around the side hill underneath us. But 
Yeah. Hard as he was coming, that cow came from a long ways. That was a that was a cool one. Yeah, it was super neat. I was I was watching that way the whole time just because that's where the cows were howling from. And I think our wind was blowing directly into the ridge behind us. So it would have had close. to climb. Yeah. Yeah. It was close. It would have had to have gone up the hill to get our wind. And luckily it didn't. It stayed down right below. But I mean, it was, you know, 10, 15 degrees off of wind. It wasn't very far off of wind. No, no. That was a good one. And then that last, the last coyote we killed that morning, um, you know, just a little lucky pecker. Here come this coyote and the wind was swirling on us. And sometimes oh, yeah. when you get in that swirling wind, dang, it's just, it's just tough. I mean, I get asked that question a lot, man, what do you do in the swirling wind? I'm like, I don't know. When you find out, let me know because yeah. really, I mean, the only thing that I have ever kind of tried to do is try to find some openness, you know, where, yep. where you can just get those coyotes, you know, killed out there at 100, 150 yards. But sometimes the stuff you're hunting, you just can't get that big of an opening, you know. And and we yeah. had it that that stand. But anyway, this coyote comes in and he catches our wind and he's leaving and I end up shooting him, you know, going away. And then I was rolling, you know, a lot of times after we shoot, we'll we'll run through some pup distress, you know. And uh I see you off to the left moving and kind of tracking something that's coming in from the left and i don't really know what it is and all of a sudden i see you kind of slowly raise your shotgun and you know it's kind of circling in behind us and yeah and i remember you whipping around saying gray fox <laughs> yeah and that was actually the camera guy that spotted that so you so we have the swirling winds and normally you and i if we're contest hunting we would have stopped that coyote and smoked it but for camera we're trying to get it as close as we can and luckily you made a great shot running away on it. So we got that killed and you're running through the pups, like you said. And I never would have expected a gray fox to come into a pup distress, but that's what happened on that stand. And a lot of people aren't going to see that, but you were playing straight up just pup fights and pup distress. Yeah, it was SIG, uh, it was SIG kicking ass three is what yeah, I was playing. Yeah, which, you know, is a domestic dog and a coyote pup fighting. And here comes a gray fox. But when he said on the left, I don't think he knew it was a gray fox at first. And I figured it was a coyote coming to fight. So I was ready for it. And then it ended up slinking up the hill behind us. And as soon as I saw the body language and knew what it was, I was like, we just got to get this thing killed. And that's when I ended up doing it. And I actually asked the camera guys, like, you got it on film? He's like, no. I was like, you think I should kill it? And he's like, yep. <laughs> and that's when I smoked it. But. Yeah. And that's, and that's when we're filming, you know, we do a pretty good job of getting pretty much everything on camera, you know, and yeah. that's why the system we have when we're filming for the last stand, you know, we run two cameras and it's, it's all real time. You know, we don't reenact a damn thing, you no. know, and, and we tell them, we say, Hey, we're going to hunt just like we normally would hunt yep. other than being probably a little more patient than we know are in most cases. That's really yeah. the only thing we do different, you know, and sometimes you just don't get them on camera. I mean, um, but, uh, but nonetheless, uh, it, it worked out pretty good. I think what we killed 26, what about 20, 23 coyotes and two bobcats and a gray fox, I think in three, yeah, three and a half days, 26 kills, a lot of firsts, first on the drone, first five on one stand, first bobcat with the revolt, the super revolt. First gray fox with the super revolt. First coyote in Arizona with the super revolt. <laughs> There's a lot of firsts. That's a lot. Man. First 14. Yeah, yeah. That's the second most we've ever killed on camera in a day, you know? Yeah. 
which is, yeah. which is pretty sweet, you know? Difficult when you're being that patient, it's hard. And you got two extra guys. I mean, you might as well have four guys on stand. When you yeah, got and that's a, that's a whole you. other thing too. You got lenses and movement and, you know, yeah. they have to move a camera to get on the coyote. It's not like us and I, you and I see a coyote coming. We can just use our eyes, you know, and not have to move. Yeah. Well, they got to take the whole camera and get it spun over or it's no good, you know? So we got to take yep. that risk and, um, it's no easy task. It, I like the challenge yeah. of it. Cause I thought, you know what, if we can kill coyotes with all these guys, when it comes to just you and I in a contest or me, whoever, yeah, it's, it, it's easier, you know, if you, if you, you know, push the envelope a little bit, you know, when you're, when you're filming, you know, just fun hunting, you know, seems a little easier. Exactly. So last, last thing, you know, I want to talk a little bit about shotgunning just in general. Do you do anything different? Yeah. You know, when you're, you know, if, if guys are wanting to, to, you know, get into some shotgunning, carry a shotgun with them on stand, you know, talk a little bit about the process you go through of, you know, patterning your shotgun. What are you looking for? yardage wise you know some different things on those lines as far as patterning shotguns i like my pattern to be the best at like 40 yards i, th I think is optimal um anything less than that obviously your pattern is going to be tighter which means a dead coyote but anything past that you still have a chance 50 60 yards you still have a chance um obviously for film and for and honestly even contests i like them 40 yards and closer so if my pattern's optimized at 40 yards, I know anything closer than that, I'm going to have a good pattern, no matter what. And I don't know, I, I honestly sit there like I'm turkey hunting as well. I'll have my shotgun up first instead of rifle first, which is the opposite of what a lot of people do. A lot of people are rifle first, and then they have their shotgun as a backup. But by the time you switch to the shotgun, you throw it up, that coyote's already seen you move. It's turned and you're shooting the coyote in the rear as it's leaving. And you're just hoping for a BB to slip over its back and hit it in the back of the head. And that's, it just doesn't work that often. Your odds, as soon as that coyote turns around, your odds go down dramatically as far as kill. Oh yeah. And that's a good point. You know, you know, if you do decide, if you're out there hunting and decide, Hey, I'm going to take a, a shotgun and a rifle with me, you know, and you did this on one of the hunts, you had to transition from your shotgun to your rifle. And, and when you're making that yep. transition, it's because the coyotes are farther out. So your chances yep. of making that movement are a lot better. So you, you hit the nail on the head. If, if you are going to use that shotgun rifle combo, sit there with the shotgun in your hand and yes. have your rifle set up off to the side. And then when that yep. hard charging coyotes come, you don't have to make, cause the last thing you want to have to do when you get a hard charging coyote, when that coyote gets within 30, 40, 50 yards, and I don't care how good of cover you have to hide amongst. If yep. you have to make a transition to sit down and come up with a shotgun, I will guarantee you nine times out of 10 or more, that coyote's going to spot you and he's going to peel out. And like you said, yep. it's just now you're caught in between. Now the coyote peeled out at 50 yards. Do you start just winging shotgun yeah. shots at him or do you, transfer back to the rifle and take some running shots it's a cluster so definitely yeah. sit there with the shotgun you know when you're when you're running both yeah and when i say turkey hunting like i'm turkey hunting i and you'll see it on the last stand episodes too i sit with the shotgun up on my knee ready ready instead yep. of just sitting there on your lap because even moving it from your lap up to your shoulder i mean the coyotes peripherals are 10 times better than yours ever will be and they'll see you moving. And as soon as they move, like I said, I mean, if they're going away, the shot percentages are way lower. And, and you can hit one in the butt and roll it, and it's still going to get up and oh, keep yeah. going. 
and a lot of that too is is call placement you know so what yep. i tell people when when we're shotgunning coyotes you obviously don't want to put the call 60 yards out there because you know that's you know you're if the coyote runs right up with the call hell you gave yourself a too far of a shot you know so you got to keep exactly. it close so the downside to putting that call close to you is now the vision of that coyote you're somewhere probably in that vision pattern yep. line you know Yep. You know, a lot of times when I'm hunting big open country and I'm just rifle hunting, yeah, I will walk that call 60, 80 yards out there just to keep their line of sight on the call and not on me sitting over on this bare ass side hill, you know. But when you're yep. shotgunning coyotes, man, you got to keep it close just so you can get them killed. But you just got to realize that their their line of vision is going to have you in it and the call too, you know, no matter what angle. Unless they, some of these stupid Arizona coyotes that come from the hard right or hard left, you know. And even yeah. then they, they do look around and, and see you. Glance at you yeah yeah what uh what are some of your favorite loads i know you've shot a bunch of different things over the years some steel you know i know you're a big waterfowl hunter too so you've shot them shot them with steel you've shot them with you know different leads what are some of the some of your favorite loads that you like shooting with i've shot a bunch of coyotes i don't know how many hundreds of coyotes with steel shot and i still believe it's a great shot to use the range is limited with it though it doesn't carry the ballistics out far enough because it's so light that it's really a good killer past 40 yards but 40 yards and in i think steel is really good because I, it breaks through the bone instead of deforming like lead does um, the hornady bbs in the three inch are my go-to right now but again, I'm also killing things 50, 40 yards and closer. Um, I really like TSS. It's heavier than lead and it's as hard as steel. So you get the benefits of both. It's carrying the ballistics out further. Plus it's also breaking through the bone. It's not deforming or anything like that. And the TSS is really, I think where it's at. It's just super expensive. There's not many companies that make it. and you're limited to hand loads and then maybe a few companies that make it, but you're paying an arm and a leg for it. I mean, cost wise, I mean, that, that Hornady stuff's probably, what are we looking at? Maybe a buck, a buck 50, a shot, probably three inch BB. Yeah. It's about 12, 15 yeah. bucks a box, maybe for 10, you know, TSS, yep. what are we looking at? Three, four bucks a shot or more. Yeah. Sometimes it just depends on what load you get and what you're going with. But uh, I mean, you're looking at three to five, bucks a, a load and i mean shooting shotguns at coyotes unless you're really good at it i mean you're going to be shooting one or two shots at least on every coyote you shoot yeah and it gets, it's enough, expensive so. just with the coyote market kind of bottoming out a little bit if you're shooting hundred dollar coyotes you know but yeah down in arizona when those coyotes aren't worth anything you know yeah uh, it's kind of hard to justify four bucks hell you'd have went yeah. through about 150 dollars worth of shotgun shells on our trip Exactly. If you can be <laughs> patient and if you're shotgunning them right, I mean, there's nothing wrong with lead, especially I like BBs. You get a lot of people shoot buckshot, which is great, but your pattern in it isn't as dense. You don't have as many pellets in your pattern. And that's why I like the, the BBs and the lead is nice. Now with TSS, it's so much heavier than lead. You can get away with a lot smaller pellet size, which increases your pattern density. So you're even getting more pellets on target, which is why TSS is so much more deadly. You're getting the same amount of weight as you would with lead, but twice to three times as many pellets if you use a smaller shot. Yeah, that's, that's good info, man. 
like I said, I don't get too much into it. Um, you know, I've had that Benelli Super Black Eagle for a lot of years. Um, yep. You know, even I, I bought this crazy AR shotgun, you know, this Rock Island Army VR-80. You know, I'm a big yeah, AR yeah. guy, so I figure if I can get a shotgun that's built just like an AR, maybe I might use it more. But, yeah. you know, I got ready running the red, you know, I tried that red dot thing to accomplish the same thing as a shotgun anymore. I'll just shoot 20, 30 yard running coyotes in the scope. Um, it's one of those things you got to do it a lot, but shotgun is yep. definitely for, for guys that don't do it a lot. And you're in that right type of train and right type of cover, man. Um, you know, and I want to talk real quick too, about how important your setup. I mean, as far as cover, you know, to me, I always talk about the amount of cover you have is, you know, relative to how good of shotgunning coyotes, you're, you know, opportunities you're going to have. Right. Oh yeah. Like you need, yeah, you, need, they, you can't just play be sitting on a bare side hill, you know, and think you're going to get coyotes that close without them seeing you. No, and you can. And I think that's where shotgunning coyotes started for a lot of people was as a backup because in wide open country, you do get the occasional coyote that won't stop. I mean, they'll come running all the way up to the call, even when you're waving your hand or yelling at them, howling, you just can't get them to hardly stop. And those coyotes, it's nice to be able to clean up with the shotgun, but as far as actually shotgunning coyotes and specifically doing it, you get into the thick cover with them and the whole mood of the coyote changes as soon as you get into the thick cover, I think anyways, in my experience, I mean, they're, they're not as spooked you're in their home with them. And when they hear that sound within their home and they know they have cover, they're not worried about the roads. They're not worried about anything they come straight to the call and they come so much harder. It just plays hand in hand. You get into the thick cover, they come to the call better and they come all the way up to the call. And therefore the shotgun just makes sense. I mean, it's, it's the tool you need when you're doing that. Yeah. It, and I know for me, since the Arizona and hunting with you, that's a tactic that I've added to my bag. Yep. Just the cover, you know, getting down to where the coyotes are. A lot of guys don't feel comfortable of getting down in there and they wonder why they can't, yep. you know, get these coyotes coming out in the open in certain parts of the country. And it's because you got to commit, you got to get down in there. And when you yep. do go down in there, the tool of choice is the shotgun. You got to have it. And it's just yep. an added, added bag and forcing yourself to try that and get down in there and, and putting yourself out of your comfort zone of, oh, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's nice to sit there where you can see 200 yards, you know? Yeah. You when you sit on a stand, you just feel more relaxed. When, when you sit down in one of those stands where you can only see 20 yards, 30 yards, it's yeah. uncomfortable. And, and it's something yeah. you got to get down in there and you got to just do and, and say, okay, I'm going to make this work. And then once you see it happen a few times and you start to get the hang of it, you're like, wow, this is, this is a pretty good tactic. This is a good tool to use. Um, in some instances, you know? Yeah. I guarantee you everybody listening to this podcast has done it before where you go set up where you got 200 yards of open space between you and the cover and you're trying to call the coyotes out of it because you know that's where the coyote is. I mean, just instinctively, you look at the train, you look at the stand, and you know where the coyote's coming from and they're trying to call them out. Well, at the same point, those coyotes hang up at that edge. They don't yep. want to break free of it. You go get inside that cover with them. They don't hang up. There's no... There's no stopping at the edge. There's, there's just coming all the way up to the call. That's, it's an adrenaline rush. I yeah, like it. It is. And, and, you know, the last part of that is, you know, your kill percentages do go down. 
a little bit. Yeah. You know, I mean, if I can see 100 and 200 yards and 180 degrees around me, yep. chances are a coyote comes anywhere in there. We're going to kill it. But when you get down yep. in that, th there are still coyotes that do circle just a little bit. You know, we've seen it, Yeah. you know, and so you're not going to kill you. You just have to realize that your kill percentages are going to go down a little bit, but you're weighing the odds, you know, okay. What's our chances of killing a coyote sitting out here in the wide open, you know, especially if you get in a real windy situation, let's say you're hunting in, in the middle of a day, it gets real windy and you're like, man, I can't call it. We need to go find the thickest stuff we can find and yep. get down in there. You know, you just got to weigh the odds and say, okay, now our odds now we're down in that cover. We not we might not kill all these coyotes because they're going to be circling and things like that, um, but we're going to kill more coyotes doing this than trying to sit out in the open, you know, exactly. part of the day. And that's something I wish, like this last Saturday in that contest that I had. I mean, these guys are good coyote hunters, but they're they're open land coyote hunters, and when it gets windy like that, I know the coyotes are where they're at. You just got to get in there with them, and that's yep. all there is to it on those windy days. Heck yeah. Well, hopefully everybody will, will give it a shot, man. It's, uh, yeah, it's fun. it is fun. So what else, uh, before we end the spot, what do you, what do you got coming up in the future? You got a few more contests, got, uh, got anything planned in the coyote hunting world? Yeah, I got a couple more contests planned. Uh, I think you're coming out to hunt with Rick at night. Yeah. Yeah. I might tag along just for moral support and to laugh at you too <laughs> on that one. Hey, Rick, Rick's predicting like we're going to kill 40 coyotes. Yeah, I hope he's right, oh. man. I hope he's right. We're oh. going to be, so yeah, we're going to be filming an upcoming last stand couple episodes. We're going to try a thermal hunt. You know, we've, we've gotten lots of requests and Hey, why, you know, thermal hunt is becoming super popular. So, and there's lots of stuff out there on YouTube right now of just people recording on their scopes and things like that, but we want to put together yeah. an entire show, you know, the whole process, a, a story, you know, for you guys to see um, kind of how we're doing things. And we're no expert. I mean, Rick and I have only been thermal hunting now for a couple of years and, um, but it's definitely an effective tool to getting coyotes killed, especially in some of that country where they get pressure a little bit more. They're not, you know, they like to hug that cover a lot and, you know, they're more apt to come across that uh, openness at night. Yep. Yeah. It'll be exciting, especially with you two. He told me to fill that glove box up with ammo. Yeah. Is it because he's going to miss or is it I don't because know. he's going to shoot? He said, I'm going to be dumping a 20 round mag on every stand. He said, wow. <laughs> hopefully it'll be entertaining yeah heck yeah <clears throat> well buddy it's always a pleasure man thanks for coming on the show and sharing some of your knowledge and expertise on this shotgun and stuff it's always fun reliving our stories from from arizona oh yeah i'm sure we got more i'm sure we'll be able to do another two or three of these going through all the stories and stuff we've been through and seen oh yeah i gotta record like 26 of these a year so I'm going to need all the help I can get. Man, I don't know about that. <laughs> I got a, I got a, a voice for still pictures, if that makes any sense. I'm not, I'm not made for video, but. Was that on the I same lines with face for radio? Yeah, something like that. Something like that. <laughs> I got a face for radio and a voice for still photos, something like that. <laughs> um. But. Well, man, thanks for coming on. I uh, want to thank uh, Eastman's, obviously, for, for putting this all together and bringing you guys this action. And obviously, you know, this stuff isn't possible. You know, this stuff takes time and resources. So I want to thank the sponsors of this. Um, this episode, specifically Sig Sauer Optics. I'm excited to get going using their stuff. But then Lucky Duck Predator Calls, Swagger Bipods, 
um, you know, just some great sponsors of this show. So uh, be sure and take a look at them. If you're looking for any information on myself, um, probably the best way to find me is through Instagram. Um, you can even find Dustin. You want to follow along Dustin's adventures. You're on Instagram. What's your Instagram handle, Dustin? Uh, Prairie Yote. Prairie Yote. At yep. Prairie Yote. So you can find me. Dustin on there. Um, find him. You can check out my website at coyotecraze.com. But uh, appreciate you guys listening. Hope you enjoyed the show, and uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks. <laughs>